0: Love, Hope, Radio.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Book Journeys Radio. My name is Angela Loria, and I am very excited today to have with me co authors. Um, I think this is going to be a great. Great show for everybody who is thinking about um, writing a book with a friend or colleague. Um, So I'm really excited. This is the first time we've done this. I've got Lauren Gelbert-Goff and Dr. Carmel Ann Mania here. Um, Say hello, ladies.
0: Good afternoon. Good
1: afternoon. Thank you so much. And uh, Lauren and Carmel Ann's book is called Being Well Within, From Distressed to De-stressed. Um, which I think is a great little play on words there. And um I guess let's just start off by um why don't you guys just tell me a little bit about yourselves and about about the book and, and who it's for and um and and uh you know why why people um might be able to to use it or like your book.
0: Well, let's see. In in a nutshell, um we decided to put this book project together because we've known each other for many years. We've been friends. We've been colleagues, and we come from a very different perspective. Carmelan is a holistic chiropractor. I'm a psychotherapist. We've been in practice independently for, as Carmelan says, longer than we'd like to remember. Yeah,
2: sometimes we don't want to admit how long, but um, <laughs> we we have. Uh, The similarity that we have is we really feel that the body and mind are connected and need to be connected and need to be balanced. So Lauren approaches it from the mental and emotional and psychological viewpoint. I approach it from a a physical and a metaphysical viewpoint, and the book kind of came out of work that we've done together in seminars and, and workshops for patients and friends and colleagues. And I would say it's an interesting
1: combination because, Lauren, you're a licensed clinical social worker, right? Correct. And then, um, Ann, you're a chiropractor?
2: I'm a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So that's really body and mind right there. (laughs) Exactly. And as we say in the book and in our workshop, stress is a given in this lifetime. Suffering is optional. And we and we really wrote the book so that people would have a resource to learn how to use the stress that is an absolute given in our lives, that it doesn't have to wear them down. It can actually empower and motivate. And using different strategies and support, and, and we have workbook pages at the end of each chapter, so that people can really get into the work of taking back the power in their lives, mentally, emotionally, physically. And the book, while we didn't really have a, a specific age group that this was targeted for because so many people are dealing with the effects of stress in their lives, it's really for anybody over, probably over the age of 30 who has stress mm-hmm. because I think that People under 30 don't connect to the stress levels in the same way?
2: Right. They also have different coping
0: mechanisms. They
2: what? They have
1: different coping mechanisms. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I think is interesting about this topic, this is um, I do uh, book coaching as well as publishing, and when I'm talking with authors at the beginning of their process, very often they have a book idea that's, you know, maybe about stress or maybe about, you know, happiness or anxiety, different sorts of general topics that would appeal to everyone. And um, I think a lot of people want to write a broad book that kind of appeals to everyone, but there's, um, at least from a publisher perspective, there are some challenges to writing a general book from a marketing perspective. Is that something you guys have found in terms of, you know, how to connect with the right audience?
2: Yeah, to some extent, that's true. We What we found, though, is that uh, we sort of directed it towards people that we've dealt with uh, I've had a very generalized practice, at very young patients, very old patients, and, and Lauren also has had some but we we tend to find that the people that, that are most stressed out and need those those tools are really people in let's say between thirty and seventy. And mm-hmm. um you know, we're we fall in that category somewhere. I'm closer to thirty than seventy, maybe. And um <laughs> what we found is that the advice we were giving our clients and our patients and that we were using over and over and over was something we thought needed a broader audience. We needed to get it out to more people because that appeal was very broad, and we wanted to be very, very practical. One of the feedbacks that we got on the book after it went out was that, gee, it was very practical but, but full of love, and, and we <clears throat> tried to be nonjudgmental but to give people practical tools to be able to go forward in their life in a way that that they would feel balanced and and feel empowered and feel comfortable. Well, I do find
1: that people don't enjoy being lectured to by their authors. So having that <laughs> um, compassion and empathy, I'm sure, is a big, you know, it's a big benefit of of the, of a book like this, any book like this, is being able to balance advice without that sort of nagging lecturing approach
0: and having so, having read many self-help books, having been involved in the mental health fields for so long, it people pick things up all the time and it's the I have found the key is how do we implement these strategies? People have plenty of great ideas. How do we do them? How do we bring them into our lives? And that's really Core focus of the book is bringing these strategies to de stress different aspects of your life at any given moment, being able to use them on a day to day basis.
2: One of the differences, well, I, to, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Angela. No, go ahead. What well, I was going to say one of the differences is that we do try to explain to people that there's a reason why they feel the way they feel what it's doing in their body, what it's doing to their nervous system, what it's doing um, emotionally, and to try and help them not be judgmental about themselves, understanding that there may have been a very, very good reason that they did certain behaviors or had certain uh, habits or whatever, and just saying, okay, there was a reason. It's done now. Let's go forward. And not not um, encouraging that person to beat themselves up or be... Uh, be guilted about it you know laura says you shouldn't should on yourself right (laughs) well i do think the the most important ingredient that
1: any author has and on book journeys we focus on writing that that first book and the obstacles that come up for people so i would say the number one thing is to have a passion about your topic and it sounds like you guys have no problem with having passion (laughs) about this topic which is fantastic (laughs) um But what do you think, um, other than that passion, what do you think are some of the other things that that first-time authors need to have to be successful? And I'd love to hear from you guys, especially first-time authors that are thinking about co-authoring.
0: I think it's, from, from my perspective, it was really important to be focused, to know that there was a certain time of day that I would sit down and write, that there was open communication between myself and Carmeland, so that we knew where we were coming from and what was going on. We used, for the most part, we used Google Docs so we could be on at the same time and and compare notes. I had written a newsletter for many years, for a number of years before we embarked on this journey, and so. I had a lot of material already written, and I would get it down on the screen and found that, from my perspective, it gave a launching place for where then Carmel Ann's voice could come in and it could be blended. And I think that's a really important part, especially if people are going to write a book together, because you want to have that those voices blended so it isn't, It doesn't feel as broken Mm. up.
1: Right. And And did you write as a we when you're saying your voice is blended? Did you say we? Did you use, um, you know, did you have sections that were written by you and by Carmel Ann, or how did you deal with that?
2: (laughs) We each did write to the topic, and then we tried to, put them together in much the same way as we do our seminars or, or the other talks, we always try to to balance out the various aspects of it. So um we might have a jumping off point. We had we had kind of designed where we wanted to go, what we specifically wanted to cover. And then we went into some of the workshops we've done and saying this is a very important thing and how can we bring this forward and expand on it or simplify it or or open it up. So we did write, I'm going to say, sections. Every chapter has something from each of us and something from both of us. And hopefully it's kind of seamless and you won't really know um, which is which because we wanted to speak with a unified voice, but there are so many different aspects that you can see, well, gee, this is more from a the uh, a psychotherapist's viewpoint, and this is more from a, a, a chiropractor's viewpoint, or more from uh, a physical viewpoint and an emotional viewpoint.
1: Were there areas that you disagreed on how to approach a problem or a chapter?
0: Not really. Not really. Mm-hmm. We When we started out, we did it by, because it takes 28 days to make a habit for the most part, we originally envisioned the book being 12 chapters. People could do one chapter a month if they wanted and really work things through in each chapter. So we set it up to – we we came up with 12 chapters because that gave us a framework from which we could work and put information in the different categories, in the different chapters, And that's why the last chapter is all about having fun, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we better find ways to have fun. And we did do our best, like we said, at the end of this process, and it, it didn't take us as long as people expected it to take. And at the end of the process, we're still friends, we're still talking, we're still working together. <laughs> we
2: still we still respect each other. But part of but it, 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 we sounds did make like the modification. You guys had worked, it sounds like you guys had worked together
1: before this book. Would you recommend that to uh, people that are thinking of
2: co-authoring, doing something together first? I, it might depend on what type of thing it is they were doing together i mean if they, if they have worked together and they're going to write a book on how to build a house maybe that's fine but if they're going to mm-hmm. write a novel maybe not
0: uh-huh i think it's knowing who you're writing with and being able to have open healthy communication there it's i find it very important that whatever happens one of the basic tenets that we operate from is that we take nothing personally. Either one of us or anybody thinking of writing with somebody, you're going to have stress, anxiety, tension, and you will have different working styles. And it's really important to not put your working style on someone else. And there were times that I know I pushed because I operate on a very different time frame than Carmelan. Oh yeah, <laughs> and she was very patient with me and very understanding.
2: And well, but on the on the other hand, Lauren was also very understanding because I'm more of a spurt writer, and she's more of a a, a okay today I'm going to sit down and do this for this amount of time. So. I'm thinking and thinking and thinking, and then I sit down and go, Brrr, and write all this stuff down. And she's going from another viewpoint. But we, because we are good friends, and because we know how to say, we really need to get this done by today or tomorrow, or you know, or calling up and saying, I just couldn't do it today. Sorry. <laughs> and in the end, we were able to get it. We did have a a relative timetable, which we. We pretty much kept to our timetable. I think we went about 28 days over what we our expected finish date was. And a lot of what, what we were able to do, we had worked together. The book really came out of the work we had done, the research we had done, the points that we felt were very important that we made when we worked with individuals or we worked with groups, and we had worked out a lot of that together before, and it became a matter of just writing it down, you know, on paper or in the computer. Right. On computer paper. Right.
1: On Google Docs, which I think is a great collaboration platform, and
2: I particularly like the price point because free is my favorite number. That's
1: right. (laughs) It was very good
2: for us to be able to do that and make corrections and do it together if we needed to or separately. It was great. Yeah. It's pretty amazing.
1: Um, so one of the things that I um, that I tell people and that I've seen is even if no one buys your book, just having completed a book and being able to hold it in your hands and bring it to a speaking engagement or give it to a prospective, um, you know, client or partner or something like that can have tremendous positive effects, even if you don't do the marketing behind it, which I know I want to get to and talk to you guys about that a little bit. But I'm wondering for for each of you, has there been any have there been any positive outcomes of just having a book? And has it been different for each of you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. There have been some positive outcomes of having the book. There is a certain sense of validation that you show up at a networking event or at a business meeting or even with prospective clients and patients i've we've just written a book here's our book and it immediately puts you on a different um, validity level you're recognized we've had we've, we'll get into the marketing as you say because i think that's been the toughest Part of this journey, for me, Um, it's finding out who you need to know and how to make those contacts because it doesn't seem enough to have the book. It's wanting, for me, it's wanting people to know it's there and how good it is. Yeah.
2: For me, I I have to say that, that one of the most exciting things is not only that validation, it sets a different tone when you say, well, no, I, I, I just wrote a book. And that people will say, you wrote a book? I never met an author before. And if that was kind of a fun thing to come to realize. We're author. But the biggest surprise was people that I have talked to for years and helped for years and who I felt respected by for years would say, wow, this book is really good. Or it changed my life. And I know I've told them what they're commenting on a dozen times, 20 times, 30, 50, 100 times. But seeing it in print says something to people that makes it very real. And being able to go home and look at it and digest it outside of the 15 minutes or two hours or four hours that we spend together is is really, it's a revelation to me that the, the written word, really makes that has that effect on people.
1: Yeah, and people process information differently, right? So I think Absolutely. that's definitely,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you
2: know, part of it. Other
1: people might have gotten it more from, you know, a speech or a video or reading it online and and, you know, for me, I know I'm such a book person that, you know, holding it in my hands mm-hmm. sometimes is the way the information gets in, gets in best.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yes, me too.
0: And I so, and I love um, I love the idea of having a book that presents something for people that they can then, they look at you differently. You're Mm. seen differently. You have, if nothing else, it becomes a prop to go into a meeting with.
1: Yeah, I love that word prop and I work a lot of, um with people on getting media appearances and sometimes holding the book is a really nice prop to make your media appearance um kind of pop a little bit just having that that prop.
0: Well, it was very I did have an experience of going to a networking event and I had the book in my hand and I was showing it to somebody who said, "Oh, thank you so much." as if the assumption was it was just a giveaway, mm. and I found that very a very interesting moment for me because it was like, oh, well, it's not a gift, <laughs> you know, and, and needing to address that, that people think if they meet you, you should just be giving them a book.
1: Right, and actually, that, this is an interesting point. So, like I said, I wanted to talk about marketing, but this relates to marketing, which a lot of authors don't realize. And you guys published with Valboa, which is um, the author funded division of um, my favorite publishing house, which is Hay House.
0: Love um, Hay mm-hmm. House.
1: I, I recommend Valboa a lot, um, particularly since about, I think it was a year ago. They started a program where once a quarter they pick a Balboa Press book and they move it over to the Hay House label.
2: Right. I um, remember that.
1: Which is, yeah, that's a very exciting um, opportunity that I think makes them unique as, as an author-funded house. But many people think, hey, it's your book. You own the copyright. You paid for it to be published you must be able to get, you know, unlimited copies of it or a couple hundred copies, and <laughs> doesn't exactly work that way, right? Was that a surprise to you? Did you know about that? And how much do you pay for copies? How does that work for you? Wow.
2: Well, it was a bit of a surprise, though we knew that it was semi-self-published, as I think the way they told us it was. Um, well, it was interesting to find out that great big, distributors could get it for less than we could, and it was our buck, but, you know, we, we're big girls, and we've been in business separately, and, and so we know that things cost money, and we, we went forward with that. I would have liked to see a little better um, marketing involvement, but I, I think we, though we may have been surprised at times, I, I think they were pretty straightforward with us, and and I don't know how other... Publishing Houses deal with uh, with self-published authors, but I, I imagine that it's kind of similar. We liked their, we, we fit in their demographic, we fit in the type of books that they published. We liked that they were associated with Hay House, so we wanted mm-hmm. to go with Balboa based on that. Um, but, you know, we just had to take a crash course in marketing. Right. Hey. Well, most publishing houses,
1: you know, whether you're whether you're self-published or not, do charge authors. Usually you'll get a discount. Um I know with our with our firm our standard is 40% off the cover price. Um and that's pretty standard. There are definitely some places where you can like we'll work out bulk sales offers. So if you're going to buy a certain number of books, that that discount goes down. Um, but like you said, uh, wholesalers, even just like the boutique down the street, if they wanted to buy 10 copies for their counter, will normally get 60% off. And then with the wholesalers, it's usually more like 80% off the cover price. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you guys, um, you know, most self-published authors are getting 100% of the royalties, but what they don't right. realize is it's not 100% of that cover price.
0: Right. right. And we're we're learning also that we need to put the book in unexpected places. Um, we have some books in a in a boutique gift store. It's not a bookstore. Mm. We have our book in health spas or you know day spas where people are going to de stress and finding the book there is an opportunity as well
2: when we do our our own workshops, our our live workshops, then we offer it there also. So people that might not see us in the bookstore, might not know about it, will say, oh, look at that. And then they come back and they say, I want one for my mother and I want one for my cousin and I want to send one to, you know, my my best friend in Omaha, whatever. So that's kind of interesting that we've actually had sales in our office, for example, or when we go to a networking meeting or something like that, it's not big marketing, but it, but it's interesting because it does come back, and people say, "I want a couple more copies," so that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, so, when
1: it comes to marketing, what would you say uh, most most people that work with a publisher? Expect them to do some amount of marketing, and usually marketing is a part of the proposal It's part of how how you're picking if you're paying to be published how you're picking who who you're gonna pay um You talked about the demographics of Balboa, so um you know you're probably listed in their catalog or on their website, so you're right. reaching the right people in that way. Um, But what has been either expected of you or what have you expected of yourself in terms of the marketing contribution you need to make to the equation?
0: We've had to basically do everything. They offered suggestions and recommendations, but it was incumbent upon us to get out there and do it. For additional Few thousand dollars, they would do a little bit more, but mm. it's not. It, it we got a list of suggestions, um, doing radio and programs. the list
1: that you got was that the same list that anyone would have gotten, or did they customize it to your book or your goals?
0: No, it was the same list. I'm pretty sure anybody would have gotten. And when I spoke with a couple of people who have pub who have published but they were not self-published. They were telling me that publishing houses are doing the same thing. There really is a very limited budget now for any kind of marketing from publishing houses because the competition and the economy and everything else, and I think that that's a huge thing for people to be aware of, that it's finding the right marketing strategy, social networking. We were very blessed that we got put on – um Barnes and Noble staff pick on January 31st. Wow. We were on there. exciting. Number yes, yeah. it was their number 1 space um on January 31st. So that was very exciting. Um it's hard to know because we're doing our best to get the word out in a variety of ways and social media is clearly a huge one. Um and it's finding the right venue and doing connecting with people who are in charge of author events at bookstores like Barnes and Noble like the local big bookstores in your town doing library events those are the marketing things that people can do on a very limited budget uh clearly if you have income, and you want, you know, a a pot of money. If money was not an issue, what marketing strategies would be most effective? We have found paid advertising doesn't do much.
2: Hmm. I mean, maybe we haven't been in big enough paid advertising, but, again, it's not... We didn't win that mega-millions lottery. So, you know. <laughs> well, you know, people ask me all the time, how much should I budget
1: for my book project? And, you know, with self-publishing, I, I generally tell people, even if you're doing everything yourself and bootstrapping it, you're not going to be able to spend less than $1,000 probably just to get your book out. Um, And you could spend as much as you want. You could easily spend $10,000, you know, kind of depends on how many edits you want to pay for and how much money you want to spend on the designer for the cover and, you know, who you want to partner with. Obviously, Balboa is a little bit on the more expensive side, but there are a lot of advantages to being on that label. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of ballpark it for people somewhere between $1,000 and $10,000. In a perfect world, what would you say they should be budgeting uh, in terms of marketing? Like, should in, you spend as much on marketing as you did on on getting your book ready, or more, or how how should those
2: budgets work? It's probably I wouldn't say quite fifty fifty, but maybe sixty forty as far as you know budgeting for the book, and then and we've done a lot of time, so you know maybe it wasn't. Cash mm-hmm. in the bank, but we've done a lot of time, and and we're committed to doing more time on a regular basis of making those phone calls and sending those emails and and doing the type of thing. So I mean, I uh, to me, one to ten thousand dollars sounds like what people are going to have to do, and we haven't hit that mark yet. The ten thousand we haven't hit, but we're over a thousand dollars in in marketing, marketing at. Yeah, I'm quite a bit.
0: Probably one of the best suggestions we got was for promoting the book and a way of of marketing is to go to different venues. Be it a, depending on the topic of the book, obviously, but whether it's a Rotary Club, a Knights of Columbus, a church, a synagogue, and rather than being paid to speak that the organization buys a certain number of books to give away, to offer to their patrons, to their uh, congregants, whomever, so that they can get a discount on the book. If we paid 50% for our book and we give it to them for a slight markup from our cost, we're still getting something because they're buying so, um, number of books. So, just
1: because we're right at the end of our time, Lauren Gelberg-Goff and Carmel Ann Mania, thank you so much. Check out Being Well Within from Distressed to De-Stressed. Loved that final suggestion, and I love talking to you, ladies. Thank you so Same much here, for your Angela. time. Thank, thank you. So you. Much, Thanks for having Angela.
2: us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.